Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Bristnet.com, Twinspires.com, How to Bet the Belmont Stakes podcast, episode three, winning wagers, or what at least we hope are winning wagers, and uh, more, so much more than the Belmont Stakes uh, on this podcast. Going to talk with Scott Shapiro about the whole card, uh, but not too much about the whole card because Scott has analysis available at Bristnet.com, and the link is in the description. And we want those of you to uh, hopefully like what you hear and want to read more from him. So check that out. So uh, this definitely will not be a a full card breakdown or anything like that, but just more from a handicapper's perspective and the winning horse player approach or approaches. And Scott and I differ a little bit on how to attack a card like this. And some some opinions, and certainly we'll touch on the Belmont State, um, but if you're looking for full card analysis, that is elsewhere. This is going to be more a handicapping-centric discussion and looking forward to starting that with Scott right now. Scott, good morning. Good morning, Ed. Fired up. Yeah, this is is a big one. And, uh, you know, certainly uh, Naira has taken some lumps. And there's legitimate criticisms about, you know, what makes sense and what races to have on what days. But the fact remains when we finally get to this day and you look at what's ahead tomorrow, with that 10 stakes card and the horses they've gathered, uh, it's, it's impossible to not be excited. Yeah, I, I strongly wish that the Met Mile was still on Memorial Day, mostly for the tradition and the memories it brought me. But when we get past Memorial Day, you know, it makes until we get to Belmont Day, it certainly is something that I'm excited about. So, you know, yeah. typically, uh, you know, wanting things on, you know, I wish they could run the Met Mile twice. I love that race, but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's a great but, but what a, Yeah, but what what a menu on tap. You know, we have a uh, recording this on Friday. We have a great card Friday. It was a solid card yesterday. And uh, Saturday, to me, is the most exciting card of the year because in terms of handicapping, only because the Breeders' Cup with the Europeans, there's just more unknowns that I'm handicapping than this card. Mm-hmm. So I'm really fired up. Yeah, that's, uh, that's actually a good point with the, the Europeans, which I like. Uh, a little more uh, than most, although there are some people who love international racing and uh, Breeders' Cup for them, uh, you know, that probably helps eclipse a day like tomorrow. But, uh, yes, I mean, top five day tomorrow, no matter who you are, it would be tough to rank it any lower than that. And certainly I'm with you, top two. uh, Well, I guess top three, I think the Derby sort of, uh, the the car maybe isn't as strong on Derby Day, but, you know, the Derby makes up for that for me. But, uh, Really looking forward to tomorrow. We talked earlier in the week about, you know, the, the, the festival format, how you approach the three days and uh, smart opinions throughout. You know, now we're down to the point where, okay, it's a big day. There's going to be a lot of money pushed through the windows. You open your PPs. You see all those pages, normally, what, 40, 50 pages for a standard card, maybe 30 out in California, no offense. Uh, but you get to a day like tomorrow and it's 70, 80 pages. Do you start with the stakes? Are you a race one guy? What's what's the first thing you do when you have them in front of you? Well, I used to start with the stakes races, but now the fact that California and New York run the pick five, which you know is one of my favorite, if not the favorite wager that I have, uh, you know, that's available. I do start with race one, and I attack the pick five sequence first. 
Um, but I'm generally at this point because of that, you know, I just roll through it from race one on and I'll go through it the first time and maybe look for a couple of horses that I was waiting to come back. And then on the other hand, maybe look for some horses, uh, you know, that are vulnerable favorites and dive into those races. But, you know, I spend most of my time on the horizontal sequences, the pick five and the pick fours. So I'll definitely spend more time on races that are included in the sequences than the ones that are uh, not. All right. Well, uh, speaking of that pick five, uh, let, let's get into it. Uh, like I said, we're, we're definitely not going race by race or anything like that. Uh, but the pick five uh, ends in race five, and really the approach to it begins there as well because Songbird uh, is imposing a, a horse as there is on the card. Uh, I think she'll be one to five. Uh, Anthony Seville, uh, my partner on another radio show and one of the, the Talking Horses co-hosts here at Naira, was thinking three or four to five. I just don't see a layoff be darn. Uh, I mean, this, she just takes money and, you know, it's been one to 20 before. Um, so for me, you know, as much as I love her, impossible to see her as a win back candidate. The question is, is she worth singling in the pick five? Uh, is this is this a sequence that you think can build up to a decent payout even with her at the end? Or uh, I know you have some alternative views in the fifth, but what's your feeling on the sequence as a whole? Yeah, I thought out of the three days, actually, this sequence probably was the one where you needed to spread least, although yesterday was kind of formful after the first race. Um, I thought that it was hard to come up with um, a, you know, number of races that would produce uh, high-priced horses. I do think there's a vulnerable favorite or two. But obviously, with the presence of Songbird at the end, if you like her, you probably want to limit your budget or maybe press up on your strongest opinions to get to her. Um, as we talked off air a little bit, though, I think because of the way the sequence shakes out um, and because of the layoff and because of another horse in the odds and fits that will be significantly better value at all across the board, I think it's a race where um, I'm willing to go too deep and to get to. Um, I think Karina Mia draws well to the outside of Songbird. She has the race um, off the bench, and I just think that – the value, I pick Songbird to win the race. I think if they run the race, you know, several times, she'll win almost every time. But there are a few scenarios where I could see Karina Mia running a career best and maybe Songbird being a little bit short. So, to me, it's a, it's a two-horse race, and I'll probably have an extra ticket with Songbird single. Now, the pick five starting it off is interesting to me from, you know, considerations of what we talked about Monday, bankroll management, pressing your opinions, et cetera. Uh, you know, the pick five is certainly a bet that has a lot of risk reward if you, you manage it correctly and put the right sequence together. But uh, it is the first race of the day. There's, uh, what, three or four pick fours. Uh, there's a pick six, if that's your flavor. There's a 12-horse Belmont. Um, does that weigh on you when you look at your pick five? Like, how much do I want to tie up for the first five races? And, and does your approach change on a big day versus a normal, you know, say Thursday at Santa Anita, where that might be the only bet you make? It definitely changes from card to card. And, and as you say, there's a lot of cards uh, in California. And um, even when I'm playing New York from time to time or other racetracks uh, throughout the year, uh, where the pick five might be my only wager, as you say, for the day, or maybe a win bet or, you know, one race that I like. Um, the thing is, is if this, it would not change it on a big day um, in general, but because of, what I, because of the way this card shapes, shakes out, 
with a lot of the more deep uh, races where it looks like double-digit winners are a little more possible. I'm not going to go too deep uh, on my budget uh, with the pick five on, you know, the big Belmont card. I just don't think it merits that uh, kind of, you know, that kind of spending. I think I'm going to, you know, press up my opinions, maybe have, like I said, an extra ticket to my strongest opinion. But all definitely I'm going to save some uh, more of my bankroll by far than usual for the later races. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, and the reason I'm definitely willing to, to single Songbird, I I mean I, I mean I'm not through the sequence enough to say, you know maybe if there's sort of this like one by two by one by two approach, and you know then each horse in the Songbird race is only costing me two bucks, um, you know a backup ticket really makes sense, or you know some cheap denomination, but if it's one of those where you know, I need to spend X and I just single songbird. I'm, I'm okay with that. Just knowing what, what lay, what lies ahead and, um, you know, sort of more bankroll builder approach than this is the one I want to knock out of the park. But, uh, th- that in part is because I do like songbird so much, you know, if I didn't, you know, that would, I would change accordingly. Uh, I, I feel like, uh, you know, the, the, the derby, uh, certainly the, the big one of the three, but of the pick fours that end in the triple crown races, I do think this one stands taller than either of the other two. Uh, and being all great one helps, but just the, the festival style of the card where some of these races are actually uh, thought of in, in higher esteem than the ones on Preakness or Derby Day, uh, this pick four certainly one people target. They put a lot into. I'll be doing the same. Before we get to that, though, anything between the pick five and that all six pick four that uh, you wanted to point out and in the Jiper or the Acorn or and I forget what the other races and the, the sequence, but uh, anything from the middle races? Yeah, I mean, real quick on the pick five, I did think, just to get back to it, just the one opinion, I do think there's a couple of oh, sure. favorites. You know, the, the number seven West Coast, the, the horse and easy goer for Bob Baffert is going to go off the favorite, I would think. Um, this horse was completely unimpressive and against Lesser on May 20th. Um, ships out here on short rest. One turn, uh, one mile and a 16th. Can he win? Yes, but I think he might be a horse worth taking a shot against. And then another Bob Baffert. I hate to be, you know, poking holes at, you know, Bob Baffert the way he wins these these dirt stakes races, but I don't know if Abel Tasman's a one-turn mile horse. I think she's going to have a lot of work to do. I think she had a perfect setup in the Kentucky Oaks uh, with that torrid uh, pace up front, and I'm just right. not sure if taking a short price on her is advisable. So, that's another reason why I'm willing to, you know, use Karina May in addition to Songbird because maybe there won't be any double-digit winners or one or two of them, but beating horses like that and beating Songbird could really be lucrative. Um, in terms of the races, uh, six and seven, which are the other stakes races, graded stakes races before the pick four, I struggled with the j um, I think the two Clement Petri, uh, Patricia Generazio horses are the, my top two in there, Disco Partner and Pure Sensation, but not a real strong opinion or push. Um, I thought the Woody Stevens was extremely interesting. Um, geez, I'm going on record here against three Bob Baffert trained favorites. Could be dangerous. Um, <laughs> but um, I really was intrigued. Yeah, by sounds like if he has a big day, you won't. 
Yeah, which is odd because I've been riding them a lot and doing well with them. Right. Here, obviously, playing against them is completely unadvisable out in Santa Anita. Well, look, look, I mean, you're our you're our California guy, and that's uh, part of. I mean, you you know him better than anyone on on our team, and uh, that's you know that's part of the perspective is you know this the spots he excel in, or you know is he worth the price in this type of spot? So it's it's great information and. Like you said, I mean, he can win. No one's shocked when Bob Baffert wins a stakes race. But, um, you know, even money two to one, if you think there's a reason to go against, that that to me weighs heavier than just, you know, me looking at the race and thinking maybe there's a, a chance to beat him. Yeah, I, you know, I'm looking at the card now and kind of shaking my head because, you know, he wins so frequently when he has these horse ships, these horses and whatnot. But, but in this race, I, I think American Anthem had a perfect trip in the last Barrera. I think this is a tougher group with a larger field. I just think it's another vulnerable favorite. Chad Brown's Long Haul Bay is a, is a really extreme, um, you know, really strong New York bread that's done nothing wrong in two starts. And then another New York bread that I give a big shot at a price is number four gold for the King for Charlie Baker. This horse um, probably will go off bigger price than he should only because he's raced in all New York bread races. But what he's done in those races to me has been extremely impressive. So two intriguing races. One, I have a little bit of a stronger uh, opinion on than the other. Um, but that leads us into um, the pick four, which I know you're excited for and I am as well. Yeah, and uh, gold for the king, uh, the, the lone entrant in there with uh, double uh, back-to-back triple-digit Brisnet ratings, uh, and only one other horse has, has topped uh, 100 once. Uh, he's he's done it the last two, so that definitely sticks out for me uh, at 15 to one. So uh, certainly worth looking at. And the New York Red won the Astoria yesterday, so uh, good 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 start to the week for the the homebred, so to speak. Uh, but, yeah, the, this pick four, um, I know we're probably going in different directions with our approach to the Belmont. Uh, and then from there, that sort of uh, means different paths to get there, uh, winding through races eight, nine, and ten, just a game, Met Mile in the Manhattan. Uh, I would say of, of the three races, the one horse I'm most excited about, uh, just looking at price, uh, is Tom's Ready. At 15 to one, I think this horse getting Castiano here at Belmont, um, it it just feels like this this might be the time. And he's popped some races before, uh, and uh, this is a spot where I'm sort of against Baffert. Uh, is the favorite more spirit, like all of Baffert's favorites certainly can win, but um, you know I'm just I'm just not sure he's worth the price. Yeah, Bob, two two good points that I will be uh, involved with. Another Baffert that more spirits really turned things around. He was really disappointing as a uh, three-year-old after winning the uh, Low South Futurity and then the Robert Lewis out here. He was really – he's a plotty horse, and he certainly has moved forward um, as a four-year-old for Baffert. But the one-turn monotomy seems very, very questionable. Um, I guess if he gets a perfect trip and – he's a better horse than I think he is, um, that he can get it done. But just the price in a wide open group does nothing for me. And Tom's ready is a horse that I'll be including for sure. Uh, if you remember last year, he had that powerful win in the Woody Stevens last, the first run when they set things up for him. So, you know, he likes the track. He gets a good rider definitely amongst my, um, my, you know, uses in that race. And that's the race that I'm going to um, spread the most in. I just, 
for several horses at decent prices to, to high prices that I think have a legitimate shot if the, if the you know chips fall right for them. And I'm just not in love with more spirit. And Sharp Azteca is a wild card to me as well, given her uh, given his uh, poor run uh, in the Woody Stevens last year as the favorite. And Jorge Navarro's record uh, in New York is nothing uh, compared, you know, nothing special compared to his overall record. So both of those seem like potentially vulnerable favorites to me in a sequence that could end up paying real well if we could beat them with, you know, Tom's ready or um, I ended up making my top pick in their economic model. Um, maybe a reach, uh, especially considering that Brown had another horse that he was much connect that, you know, was, was going to be the big favorite in this race. But I right. think the last race um, was a prep for this horse. He's run well over this course and I just, you know, get the feeling that he's going to run a career best. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I mean, not a race on paper yet that looks like uh, might, you know, end up having the the champion at the end of the year or anything like that. I mean, there's no frosted, but, um, you know, from a competitive standpoint and a way to hopefully spice up this pick four, it's, it's definitely going to be one of those races where more spirit or sharp as Tekka win. Uh, yeah, they might be on my ticket sort of by default, but um, I'm going to feel like I lost. Like, I, I don't I don't want them to win, so... Um, maybe they won't be on my ticket at all. They're just they're, they're hard to like. Is the the two shorter prices in a in a competitive race is kind of my my thinking. Absolutely, I, I won't have more spirit. I'm going to have to let him beat me. I think I'll probably use Sharp Azteca uh, defensively um, because of the fact that I think he could be loose and maybe he won't take the same amount of money because of Navarro's record. But I, like you, this is a race where. My budget, you know, that I'm putting into the race is relying on, you know, I'm relying on this race kind of busting out to an extent um, in order to really make what I'm going to put into this sequence worthwhile. Uh, well, I want to make sure uh, enough time to, to get through the Belmont, so uh, I'll double up on the surf races. But uh, any anything you want to touch on from the Just a Game race eight or the Manhattan race uh, ten? Well, I think I'm going to roll with the. Um, with with the slogan and Brown we trust in the sequence, I'm going to be playing two tickets, barring any um, any significant scratches in either of the turf races. And in one of those, I'm going to single number two Roca Rojo, who I think uh, I was impressed with his attractability or her attractability to sit close to a slow pace last time in the Distaff Turf Mile at Churchill over that um, you know soggy to somewhat surface. It was labeled as good. I think um, she gets more of a pace to run at in this one, especially now that sassy little uh, Lila has decided to go in the just a game instead of the New York, uh, which is today, meaning Friday, she'll be a single on one of my tickets. And then in the, uh, in the Manhattan, I'm going to roll with time test who I think was uh, short last time out when I guess a two to five in the Fort Marcy and looked like he was going to roll by uh, smooth daddy and messy and, kind of hung, and that was over a yielding surface. So I can forgive that. I'm expecting a huge effort for the Judmont Farms horse in the race that I believe they had him uh, set for all along. So those will be my um, stands in the sequence. And, I, you know, it's hard to go wrong with Chad Brown, it seems like, in turf races, especially in New York. Yeah, um, the, the aforementioned Stabile uh, said he's off time test. If you can't get past Smooth Daddy, that's a, a deal breaker for him. Uh, you know, to me, the layoff, catching the yielding surface, 
Uh, you know, they went 117 for six furlongs, and um, I just think that's enough excuse. The one thing that's interesting to me that really won me over on, on time test, who I'll use with world approval, uh, but he was assigned 116. And this horse, a group two winner in Europe, getting six pounds from uh, a lot of these horses, uh, including world approval, and eight pounds from the visit arrow, uh, I mean, that to me is, is a huge difference maker and uh, the, the reason I'm I'm going to be using them pretty heavily, whereas if it were equal weights, maybe I'd shade toward world approval, but I can't ignore that, that weight break on a horse who's proven in Europe that he couldn't run with these on paper at the very least. Yeah, and he carried significantly more weight over there, and, and he gets caught yeah, a lot, not that I... And not that I have any problem with Gerard Ortiz Jr., but you got to love Castellano. And to me, whether he ran by Smooth Daddy is, is insignificant um, to an extent because, you know, it wasn't the main goal. Obviously, you would have liked to have seen that occur, but, the, you know, the pace, the surface that day. Um, and I think the recency bias will hopefully help our price. Um, this is the horse that I'm probably the only horse in the, in the four-race sequence that I'll consider a win bet on. And like I said, the recency bias to me will hopefully help us get a good price. And in terms of world approval, it's hard to rip his current form. I, I do have a little bit of concern on the relatively quick return, the poor record at the, the distance, and the poor record over the over the course. But you know, on my other ticket, he'll certainly be included on the spread. All right. Well, that does get us to the the Belmont Stakes, and uh, you know, certainly no shortage of uh, opinions of have been shared and will be shared. Uh, you have some pieces. Uh, I saw you, you sent in your your top four write up, so that'll be up on twinspire.com for those who who want to read that. Um, but you know, when it comes to playing the Belmont, there's you know really two approaches. There's one, who do you want to be live to or try to get live to, and then two, obviously, what what will the race give you once you get there uh, in terms of verticals and you know maybe some one betting opportunities that sort of thing. And uh, for me, I just feel like Irish War Cry is a horse that I don't want to double, triple the cost of my main ticket um, because I do think he he is the the, the the standout from a, you know, if I tiered the horses, he would definitely be on the top tier. Um, and then I it would definitely be a break. So for me, I'm willing to more or less take a stand in the Maltese and try to use more horses, especially in the Met Mile, um, than, you know, worry about being live to a bunch in the the Belmont and not get there. Um, but I know you maybe not as bullish on him, especially as the favorite. Yeah, I totally understand that approach. His best races, the Wood, the Holy Bull, tower over this field um, for the most part. But, and his trip should be ideal, assuming that he can work his way uh, outside of mean time, um, you know, relatively early in the, in the race, which shouldn't be an issue. My, my concern, like you said, is, you know, with, with Epicarus having the issues that he has, the 7-2 morning line, I think, is going to quickly become 5-2 or 2-1. to one. I think that it's pretty difficult for people to have a real strong opinion um, in terms of wanting a single horse in the sequence outside of Irish War Cry, where I could see him being um, the default single for many people looking to take a similar approach to you and, and allow themselves to spread elsewhere. So in terms of a gambling, in get, gambling I'm, 
I'm not going to single in on Irish War Cry. However, I would be remiss if I didn't say I think he's the most likely winner. Um, I'm going to just live and die with four horses from a horizontal perspective um, in this race. I, I picked number two, Tappert, as my top pick. I just think the value uh, is significantly better than Irish War Cry. I think his races in Tampa um, are competitive with Irish War Cry's best races. And I love, you know, Pletcher. This move has worked quite a bit for him, skipping the, the Preakness with his derby horses that didn't run as well as he would have liked. Um, but neither of those horses are going to be um, encouraged, you know, high enough prices for me to consider a win bet on. The two that I will look at at a price, um, and it'll be totally contingent upon the, the win pool and what their odds are. I think number 12, Patch, um, has done nothing wrong outside of the Derby where he had absolutely no shot from the 20 hole. Um, I really liked his Louisiana Derby where I thought he was ran really uh, ran on well. Um, that race hasn't come back to do much yet, but who knows with Gervin if you know, he could have been a lot better than what we thought. And um, I would probably need the 12 to 1 to consider a win bet on him. I'm not sure if we'll get that. I think he's probably more an 8 to 10 to 1 candidate. Um, and then number 10 multiplier is a kind of a stab for me. The, the pedigree doesn't suggest that he's going to love a mile and a half, but I really love the way he finished in the Illinois Derby. Um, I thought he ran better than looks in the Preakness when he encountered some traffic trouble that hasn't been discussed too much. And he gets off the rail and gets blinkers, which should get him into the race a little more for Brennan Walsh and Rosario. And I could see a scenario where he runs a career best. I just am concerned about the, the distance as he should be with probably anybody in this race. But if he's 20 to one or higher, he could be a horse. I consider putting a little bit of win money on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for me, uh, certainly, you know, to, Ten, maybe patches 10, which isn't good enough for you, and, uh, you know, multipliers 18, which uh, that's a little list, a little shorter than you'd like, but um, it sounds like those would be the two then from an exotic standpoint that, um, you know, if Tappert were to win and it came uh, multiplier patch underneath him, you would you would feel like you would do well in that scenario? Yeah, I'm probably going to tread lightly in the in-race wagering. Um, I'm not ultra confident in my selections. I think I feel pretty good about using the four of them to close out a pick four or to be a part of the, the late pick four that's offered. But um, don't really have a strong lean there. But yeah, I could, you know, I certainly would do probably be able to, to hit the trifecta off a small a small wager um, if those three ran one, two, three. But you know, I totally understand your stance on Irish War Cry. If he runs his race, they're probably running for second. And part of it with with him and you know the in race stuff is I'm I don't have uh, that strong a feeling on the alternatives. Um, you know, I, I guess Tapper had pressed, um, but I feel like okay, I'm already on the chalk, so I'm not going to stake my sort of alternative viewpoint on you know the second choice. But then after him, it's horses who. Are, like, okay, they could hit the board, but I don't really think, you know, they're a strong win candidate. Um, so I'm I'm struggling with, with how to, with, you know, I'm, I'm in the race, uh, how to play it, and it just might be a, a stand where you look at the, the win place and show pools, and normally I'm not a big uh, place and show better, but, but the big days I think they are worth looking at because uh, the, the money, that's where it goes, the very casual money, and it can actually – um, makes sense to, you know, try to get $4 in the middle on a favorite or, um, you know, horse to pay 
uh, 10, 15 to place that, you know, otherwise on a regular day might only pay six or eight. So um, just might come to that at, at Belmont. Hopefully I'll be live to something good with Irish War Cry, and, and that can be my route. But um, I'm definitely struggling with how to play the, the Belmont uh, as a standalone race. Yeah, it, it's not a race, you know, like the Preakness. I, I, I tread lightly in, in race wagering. I, I got alive on several tickets in the pick five, but was unable to close the deal. I think it's a similar race to me where I'm finding it hard to have a real strong opinion. The only thing I can really say is in race, I'll probably play a small ticket, you know, trifecta ticket just in case I'm totally right. But other than that, um, it is really hard. And, and Capert's six to one morning line will probably be what, four to one when, when post comes nine to two. That's not appealing to me. So I can totally see where you're coming from. I just hate to to use a horse, you know, as a favorite, you know, kind of in a default status. You know, um, it's just not my style. But this horse, you know, and the one thing that we did not mention is Graham Motion, a generally conservative trainer, um, really had no plans to run in this race until he realized how good his colt was doing and decided to do so. So, to me, that's a big angle in this spot. So, you know, the trainer talk and whatnot can be misleading sometimes. But when a conservative trainer, kind of like when Richard Mandela uh, ran Paradise Woods in the Santa Anita Oaks off a of maiden win, you kind of you took note. It's not something that's done a lot. And Motion very easily could have, you know, put this uh, put this cold on the shelf uh, and, and rested him up for, for the summer. And, uh, you know, I know he wants to win the Haskell with the New Jersey bred quite a bit and could have made that and the Travers, the goals. But, uh, you know, he saw fit to, to bring him back uh, after the Derby. And, you know, that to me is noteworthy when it's someone like Motion doing so. Yeah, I agree uh, 100% with, with Motion. And uh, I think uh, what I go back to with him uh, is, universal praise of how he looked derby week um you know it wasn't he never had like the american pharaoh you know wow work or rachel alexandra like it was never that level but certainly a, a consistent uh you know he shipped well he trained well every day there was no hiccups there were no knocks and you know to me in the derby he ran uh his race and uh you know, it didn't work out, and uh, you can say maybe he bounced off the Wood Memorial, which some people felt that race was a lot better than some others. Uh, so it looks like a bounce from that perspective. Or, uh, you know, you could say he just isn't good enough, but I'm going to choose to say he is good enough, and, you know, the track conspired against him that day, and uh, I think 3-1 to one is the right price to, to take that stand. But like I said, after that, uh, it's, it's tough in the Belmont, so... Uh, it's going to be a great race, though, and anyone who's alive, uh, especially in that pick six, I, I think has to be looking at fifty hundred thousand dollar payouts. The, the pick six is 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 you know pretty incredible. You know, starting with the, the J four, I believe, which to me could go you know a plethora of ways. And then you know you're the Woody Stevens. I mean, I don't know if you can key in on one or two horses there. Uh, so that, that, you know, those two races could very easily eliminate the large, large majority of the ticket combinations. And then you come to the pick four, which we just, you know, kind of just freezed over. And there's not a lot of quote-unquote free squares, if any. I mean, maybe some people feel like they have one or two, but I would be hard-pressed to feel confident you singling 
you know, more than one or two horses in the sequence, which will make it tough to spread out, you know, in, in the other races. So I'm sure there'll be some big tickets going in, and I guess um, perhaps there could be a carryover um, from today. I mean, I don't know how big the right. record today, yeah. but it looks tough. I mean, it, it, sure. I struggle with those two big turf races quite a bit, and, uh, you know, it doesn't look like there's any free squares in that sequence today either. No. Uh, well, uh, I'll get you out of here on this. Can you guess the uh, only thing that would make me like Irish War Cry more? The only thing that would make you like... I can't. If uh, Victor Espinosa were up. Uh, his record in the over the Belmont surface is, is what gets you excited? Yeah. <laughs> He's, uh, did, I don't know if he had a mount last year. He, he won in 2015, though. I think he's. I think going into that American Pharaoh Triple Crown, he was one for six. I, I'm totally just summarizing, you know, guessing what, what I remember, but I think it was like one for sixty or something. And I think yeah, could, yeah, it was it was bad. And you know, not to not to call them out, but you know, there's a lot of California horses being you know running out here on Saturday. A lot of um, a lot of trainers that could have used their the, the local guy. And um, right. I don't see him anywhere to be found outside of Gormley. <laughs> yeah. But well, uh, he gave Gormley a good ride true. in the Derby. You know, he was on the wrong part of the track, but yeah, he, but that was one of his better rides. in the race. Yeah. Yeah. No, yep. I, I agree. That that was. Uh, I mean, down the backside, I thought because I didn't like I, always dreaming, so I was thinking, well, if the horse I don't like is the one who backed out of it. Like, I thought Irish War Cry and Gormley were ready to, to throw down and, you know, do a stretch battle with hopefully Classic Empire closing, but uh, never never came to pass. But, uh, yeah, I, it, was, it was a fine ride. I mean, it was, it was what would have been a winning ride if he had the horse, that's for sure. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's uh, another thing. If, if Rajiv Mirage can win on Irish War Cry, I'll be really, uh, really happy for Rajiv. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. suffered through a lot of things and Gave the horse a great ride in the Derby and, uh, you know, a great guy for New York racing and, you know, a guy that comes across as a very, very much of a gentleman. So um, not a guy that I have any problem rooting for, uh, you know, on Saturday, whether I'm alive or not. Well, uh, we'll, we'll end where we started. Uh, give me the percent chance uh, Songbird wins. Songbird will go uh, 75%. All right. That's, that's what I was thinking. So. Um, you know, the the question, um, she trained a lot after the, the layoff and, you know, some questions about whether she looked like she did last year, uh, somewhat resolved at that last workout, but, uh, you know, enough variables between the layoff and the one turn mile on the 16th and, uh, facing great one winners on a big day of racing that, uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't go much higher than that, but I'd say that's about right. I'm excited to see her though. Me too. I really look forward to it, whether I'm signaling her on every ticket or not. She's been a pleasure to watch uh, from her debut when she broke from the rail, and I doubted her at Del Mar all the way through her three-year-old campaign to, to watching the, the big race against Beholder next to you uh, last year at Santa Anita. She's been one of the more exciting parts of me being out here uh, in Southern California over the last couple of years, and it's great that they shipped her you know, around the country, essentially, to New York and Kentucky. Uh, so everybody's got to see her. So nothing but high praise for, for Jerry and Fox Hill Farms and Songbird. 
hundred percent absolutely agree. Uh, well, Scott, it's uh, been a pleasure uh, doing these. I think I'm in a not quite a series, but planning on something for the Queen's Plate for our friends at Woodbine, which uh, I know you're you're not as intimately involved uh, either in Woodbine or synthetic. But uh, hopefully, we can get some thoughts for you there. And uh, our good friends at Optic have been doing Woodbine stuff, so I'm sure I'll collar uh, Emily into to some Queen's Plate weekend thoughts, but uh, I anticipate that'll be our, our next run of these. And that is July 4th weekend, so maybe we can do something with the Belmont Oaks and Belmont Derby and um, some fun stuff there. But uh, it's been a lot of fun this Triple Crown season. Really appreciate your insight. Yeah, it's been great. And, uh, you know, Emily will have great insight on the uh, Queen's Plate. I'm happy to contribute to that as well. And before you know it, We'll be at uh, Del Mar and, of course, Saratoga. That's well. right. So, um, uh, you know, we get a All little right. low. Maybe you can give us Arrogate in the San Diego. I love Arrogate in the Pacific Classic. I'm all in already. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, he's, he's uh, tough tough to go against. Uh, more on that, certainly, as we get closer to Del Mar and, uh, yeah, your, your stuff uh, from there. Uh, looking for and actually, uh, we'll have the Indiana Derby uh, before Del Mar starts. So that's your big day in Indiana. Yeah, that should be fun. I'm looking forward to uh, to some, you know, to some of the, the big that big day at Indiana and uh, some of the, you know, second tier three year olds coming in that will make that a, a strong race. Cupid winning it last year looks poised for a, a big second half of 2017. It'll be interesting to see uh, which of the three year olds that were, you know, on the Derby Trail at some point uh, ship into um, to Indiana for that race. Should be a fun day. Yep, absolutely. All right, Scott. Well, hopefully uh, fun days ahead for us this week, money-making days, and uh, we'll uh, catch up on, on Twitter and the blog on all our successes, hopefully. And uh, if, if they're failures, hopefully we can learn from them. Uh, but thanks again. It's been a great great se- Triple Crown season. Thanks, Ed. All right, Scott Shapiro, everyone, uh, for .com and TwinSpires.com. This has been the How to Bet the Belmont Stakes podcast. A lot of great insight from Scott on the whole card Saturday. Uh, really looking forward to tackling this from a wagering perspective. Uh, for those who don't follow me on Twitter, it's EJXD2. I will have my uh, full card grid up for uh, Saturday's races. Hopefully we'll uh, connect on some good price days and uh, make some money. But it's going to be a great day of racing, great horses, safe trips to all. Thanks, everyone, for listening.